Death could not hold him. <laughs> he is the risen king, seated in majesty. I'm glad he's seated. As the writer of Hebrews says, he's making intercession for us. I can argue there that he's interceding that our faith does not fail. His seat is the guarantee of our perseverance. <laughs> His seat is the guarantee of our security. Thank you, Lord. Thank God for the choir. Yes, sir. When the track went off. The beauty of the sound just radiated through the building. Don't forget the track. Wow. <laughs> Glory to God. Amen. I love the Lord. I love worshiping with the Amen. saints. Amen. And what a joy to be together today in the Word of God. Thank you, Lord. You all pray and pray some more, okay? This message today, I'm about to reach chapter 13, which if you're a student of the Bible, you know chapter 13 is no easy assignment. Be in prayer as we uh, continue to work our way through the Word of God. Let's stand for our responsive reading. It is on page six of your programs. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, ask him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. <laughs> you have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all the whole murder offerings and sacrifices. This guy's getting it. <laughs> Together. And, and when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. In fact, Jesus starts asking the questions after this. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord together in prayer before the throne of grace and seek grace in our time of need. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of preaching. Once again, you have granted me that gracious privilege. 
But as I stand behind this sacred desk with your holy, holy, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, all-sufficient word opened, I'm, I'm immediately reminded of my inadequacy. I'm immediately reminded of the great need I have for that grace of feeling. Feel me, Holy Spirit. I need you to control my mind. I need you to bring into my remembrance what you have taught me. I need you to control my emotions. I need you to control my will. I need you to so energize me that my little strength is yielding to your great strength. Give me grace to preach. And Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters and all who are sitting under the sound of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ today. I pray, Holy Spirit, feel them. Enable them to see, but not only that, enable them to hear, uh, but not only that, enable them to submit and, 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 and bow once again to the Lordship of the only Lord, Jesus the Christ. Oh, Father, unite our hearts to fear your name. Protect your people and myself from unwanted distractions of our flesh, the world, the devil. You know the flesh is relentless because the flesh wars against the spirit. I pray for grace to yield as Romans 6.13 tells us to yield ourselves as instruments of righteousness. We may overcome every distraction, every sinful desire that seeks to prevent us from eating from your table well. Feed us everything that is you pleased to put on our plate this morning. May we bear fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to preach verses 28 through 30. I know I've been preaching sections for a good little while now. I haven't, um, I have not been preaching just one or two, three verses. However, that's all that I could do this morning uh, in light of what the Lord uh, gave me and showed me in this wonderful section. So I will preach it in two parts. It's only one part, but I will preach it in, in two parts. So, the ultimate priority. The ultimate priority. You with me? This is part one of the ultimate priority and, and the ultimate priority 
Priority is loving God. Loving God. Now, to bring this together, let's review where we are in Mark's Gospel. We're in the midst of six controversies between Jesus and the religious leaders that take place in the temple compound in Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey fulfilling Zechariah 9 and 9, confirming that he was the Messiah. Previously, he would say to this person or that person, tell no one. Now, as he enters into the uh, week leading up to uh, Good Friday, the day of his atoning sacrifice, uh, from the Godward perspective, uh, the day of his brutal murder from the manward perspective. He, he, he opens up everything and he lays out that he is indeed the Messiah. Then he entered into the temple and cleared the temple of, the, of those money changers. You remember that, right? Since then, you know, the money changers were selling for the religious leaders, fattening their pockets. So since then, the religious leaders have been challenging him, trying to beat him in debate. Yes, sir. You have the finite mind of man going up against the infinite mind of God. Yes, sir. We don't have to guess who will win. We've already seen the great wisdom of our Lord. Jesus, on the other hand, he, he shows his superior wisdom and authority, confirming that he is the Messiah. Of, the, of these six controversies, now we come to the fifth and the sixth, the last two. We're, we're looking at the fifth today. The fifth is a question about the greatest or most important commandment. A scribe or a teacher of the law asks Jesus a question. As it turns out, it doesn't become a controversy. It becomes an affirmation, uh, indeed a mutual af affirmation, and then finally a challenging question from Jesus himself where he presents a riddle really to the religious leaders beginning in Thursday. 35 onward. So as we look at this passage today, the thought is when an expert of the law or in the law asks Jesus about the greatest commandment, they both find common ground on the greatest commandments. To love God with your whole being and to love your neighbor as yourself. In the context of Mark's theology, in, in this in the Markian context, uh, such mutual admiration demonstrates that despite the general opposition to Jesus among the religious leaders, the truly wise among them recognize that Jesus' wisdom and Jesus' authority indeed comes from God.
the ultimate priority, loving God. Let's dive into this text. See what the Spirit of Christ is saying to the church today. Notice, first, beloved of God, in verse number 28, I tag this the purposeful question. The purposeful question. This question, unlike other questions asked by religious leaders, this one had purpose. I need you to know three things here under this heading. Note the scribe asking the question. The text says, and one of the scribes came up. Stop right there. Who were the scribes? Scribes were professional scholars specializing in the interpretation and application of the law of Moses, the Old Testament, and rabbinic regulations. He was a scribe, a man who devoted himself to the copying of Holy Scripture by hand with meticulous care. He, he spent many hours each day reading and writing the Word of God, which gave him ample time to memorize passages and think about them. Consequently, scribes like him were widely regarded as experts on the law and its interpretation. Yes, sir. Stay with me, I'm going somewhere. He's a lawyer. They were given the respectful title of rabbi, great one, which they eagerly prized, according to Matthew 23, 6 and 7. So it was the lawyers of this culture in this day who were the theologians of the religious system the Pharisees actually practiced. So we have here a man who copied scripture. Read it, was a scholar of his day, theologian, recognized theologian, rabbi, great one. Here is the best that the religious system has to offer. Here's the best of the best right here. Right off the bat, what does this tell us by way of application? The scribe here reminds us of a great truth we must never forget. Here it is, it's very simple. Everyone needs Jesus. Right? He's a lawyer, but he still needs Jesus. He has a high position in the community, but he still needs Jesus. He's devoted to the copying of the Word of God, but he still needs Jesus. He was well-educated, earns good money, brings home the bacon, fries it up in a pan, but he still needs Jesus. There was a man who 
was um, was a professor, teacher, and I consider him a, a friend as well. He was speaking to another friend of mine, saying, this man will not even go across the street with me to share the gospel in the west side, that's where we know it, right? The west side housing projects. That's what he said to, to my other friend. And I said, well, why do you have to go on the west side? Mm -hmm. Go to the guy mm -hmm. Go to Sigma Mountain. You, you don't have to just try the west side. Just because there's not game balance on Lookout Mountain or Signal Mountain doesn't mean that they don't need Jesus. Right? So I said, don't just target the west side or go everywhere because they need him on the mountain, they need him in the valley. Those who are making millions need him, those who are making nothing need him. Those who are involved in gangs and drugs need him. Those who are not involved and running the city because of all of their money, they need him. Everybody needs Jesus. I better leave that. I subscribe asking the question. I want you to see, secondly, the stimulus for the question. Note the text again, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well. Stop right there. Now, I know my Bible scholars, you're looking at the account as well in, 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 other, in Matthew's Gospel, right? Luke doesn't record this, John doesn't, but uh, it's only found in Matthew and Mark. But, but Matthew tells the story from the standpoint of the Pharisees as a group, because Matthew tells a story and he says uh, uh, they sent him the, to, to test Jesus, right? Yes, sir. Mark, however, Mark relates the account from the standpoint of the questioner himself, not from the standpoint of the group who simply wanted to test Jesus. That's important as we think about the stimulus for the question. See, the scribe here had initially come to witness the confrontation between Jesus and the Sadducees. Now, remember, the scribe would have disagreed with the Sadducees' doctrine that denied the resurrection. But he would have initially come rooting for them because, like him, they also had a religion of human achievement. Right? Salvation by works. And Jesus was a threat to their belief system. So he's listening and he witnessed the breathtaking intelligence of Jesus in answering their resurrection question, refuting the Sadducees with a quotation actually from Exodus 3 6. Remember, they just believed in Matthew, I mean, excuse me, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Right? So Jesus uh, refutes them from the section that they believe. Yeah. 
And uh, he found himself after hearing that, wow. He, he goes to the very heart of the Torah and refutes them. He finds, finds himself inwardly applauding and subconsciously drawn to Jesus. This guy finds himself saying, wow. He ripped them apart. Right there in the first, in, in the second of the first five books they believe. What an argument. So, uh, he, he could plainly see and understand that what they said made no sense, but what Jesus said made complete sense. And he said, boy, he answered well. Mm -hmm. That word, uh, well, uh, means, pertains to meeting relatively high standards of excellence or expectations. This guy said, man, I didn't expect him to answer like that. His answer exceeded uh, his expectations. Before he knew it, he, he was impulsively asking a question, and uh, it was his own question. It was a purposeful question. How do I know that? Well, the context argues that uh, he's more agreeable to Jesus than the others. All right, all right. Number one, he knows that Jesus has given a good answer to the Sadducees. Number two, uh, he has a more reasonable and more important question than that ridiculous question from the Sadducees, right? Number three, he acknowledges the beauty of Jesus' answer. He answered well. Number four, Jesus actually affirms his integrity by saying that he himself is not far from the kingdom. You have to wait to see what that means, all right? Now note this, beloved of God. This guy is blown away because of the power of the word. Jesus is defending the faith, the truth, from the word of God. You see that? Jesus is not doing something that we can't do today. Jesus shows us again how powerful the Word of God really is. His answer came from the Word, didn't, didn't it? And the Word of God actually aroused the attention of this high positioned man, this lawyer, this expert in the law, this scribe who was uh, 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 devoted to copying the Word of God, this answer from Jesus from the word, making the word clear, actually what is what stimulated this purposeful question. And Jesus is not just quoting it. He's expounding it. So what stimulated and aroused this man's attention is right interpretation and right application. <laughs> That's all we need, right? That's the power of the Word of God. Right interpretation, right application of the God. Wow. 
You see the stimulus for the question? You, 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 can, you can get some good conversation stimulated. Just stick with the word. Stick with the word. Just turn conversations into word conversations. I think I tell you about the time I was, uh, maybe I did, I don't know if it was Sunday school or not. I, I teach so much, I don't know what settings. Sometimes I've said things in. But I, when I, it's worth saying again right here. I, 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 I was, uh, I, I was uh, in Jacksonville, uh, headed to H.B. Charles Conference. And um, uh, this guy had a um, driving service from the airport, a shuttle service from the airport. He actually had his own car. and. Um, from the airport to the hotel, he was uh, uh, a Muslim. So we're in the car, and um, we start talking. Real, real nice man, very nice. Um, and we start talking, and he says something about uh, his uh, girlfriend that he lives with. I said, "Oh, really?" I said, yeah. And I said, um, um, so what do you believe? He said, oh, I'm Muslim. I knew that. I wanted to hear him say it. I said, so uh, your religion allows you to do that? No, 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 man. He said, no, man. He says, no, but uh, you know, I, 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 I haven't been uh, praying and doing what I should lately. So, okay, well. He said, but I'm going to get back to doing it. He said, well, what do you believe? I said, uh, I, I believe in trust and have all my hope and all my life tied up in one person, Jesus the Christ. He says, well, uh, um, yeah, we, we believe all our, you believe Jesus uh, uh, is similar. And the conversation went on and we, we, we were close to the hotel. And I said, there's a difference that I think you ought to think about. He said, oh yeah, yeah, what's the difference? I said, your religion means you've got to try to work and earn eternal life. Come on. I said, our faith in Christ as Christians, he's already done it for us. We just repent and turn and trust in him. I said, he paid our debt at Calvary. And he rose again the third day. I said, that's a big difference, don't you think? He said, man, you got something there. <laughs> you can turn conversations. Just use the word. Just use the word. Stimulus for the conversation was the right interpretation, right application of the word. That's the stimulus for it. Ooh, this season's a good time to stimulate thinking, isn't it? Somebody says, Merry Christmas. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I, I mean Merry, Merry Christmas. And say, what if you take MAS off of Christmas? What do you have? 
go from there. I'm just giving you suggestions. Notice uh, these, um, the scribe, the stimulus in the question. Uh, notice the subject of the question. The subject of the question. Notice the verse again. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, ask him. Here it is. Which commandment is the most important of all? That's the subject of the question right there. The, the scribe here is not wondering about chronology. In other words, he was not asking, what is the first commandment that God ever gave? Rather, he was posing a question of priority. That's why I actually got my subject from. He was asking, what is the single most important commandment that God has ever given, not just to Israel, but to this world? What is the chief duty, not just the members of the household of Israel, but of the entire world, of every human being created in the image of God? What is the most important commandment? Wow. I do want you to understand. His question did flow out of what was happening in his cultural context, namely among the religious leaders. Follow me. This question was actually a common discussion between religious Jews. Follow me. The Jewish scribes and rabbis had identified 613 commands in the law. I mean, they had identified. 248 of these were viewed as being positive in nature, while 365 were viewed as negative. These commands were subdivided into two groups, heavy and light. The problem was, the scribes could not agree on which commands were heavy or more binding and which were light or less binding. And they loved to debate, what's the most heavy? What's the light? What's the most binding? They, they were constantly trying to figure out which command was the most important. So they would ask rabbi after rabbi. And, and what impressed them, if a rabbi could come up with one sentence summary of the law. That's the subject. This guy was a legalist. Pharisees are legalists. The scribes were legalists. The Sadducees were legalists. Just a bunch of legalists. And here's the dilemma that all legalists face. Knowing they could not possibly keep all 613 laws. Yes, sir. The rabbis focused on keeping the heavy or more important ones as they saw them. So they hoped vainly that doing so would somehow satisfy God. But that, even that was an uncrushable, a, a crushing, unbearable burden. So they, 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 they constantly sought to reduce their list of heavy laws to just a key few ones. Mm -hmm. 
then they would see they were unable to even keep the, those few laws. You know what they focused on after that, like any good legalist would do. Legalists would do. They would keep their man-made traditions. <laughs> and, and call them scripture. <laughs> right? Because man-made traditions are, are a lot less di uh, difficult to observe. You know, like my man, I, old Baptist man-made tradition is, don't touch that table. That's the communion table, don't touch it. I can keep that. I can walk by that table all day without touching it. I'm not even tempted to touch it. All right, you're mad at me now, aren't you? I touch the table. What's more important, Jesus? It was his own question. It was a hot topic, hotly debated question. And it's the problem today, his problem, some of your problems as well. Mm -hmm. By way of application, you want to know what you can get away with. Yes. What you can do that makes God real mad. And what you can do that just makes him a little mad. That way, as long as I don't do what makes him real man, I can live in unrepentance doing what just makes him a little man. That's the depravity, the sinfulness of the human mind. Yes, sir. <laughs> right? That's the human mind at its best. I want to please and I want to, 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 to honor God, but as long as I, watch this, as long as I, uh, as long as I don't drink, do drugs, and, and, and act like those people out there, and I'm a good church-going person, then I'm, uh, I'm okay. Yes, sir. Well, let's see. Let's see if Jesus agrees with any of this. By looking at point two, verse 29 and 30, the priority commandment. We see the purposeful question, right? Describe the stimulus, the subject of this question. Now Jesus answers the question. And when he answers the question, Jesus also answers my subject, the ultimate priority. He answers what it really is. Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Stop right there. First of all, in, in, in answering the question, the Lord Jesus argues, 
Love God for who he is. Now he's going to tell you to love God in verse 30, isn't he? But he sets it up in verse 29. Okay? It's all connected. It's all flowing out of Deuteronomy 6. First of all, he says, love God for who he is. Now you know Jesus is quoting from what Israel called the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Listen to how it reads. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Okay? The word Shema means to hear. But catch this. This is important for all of you hearers. The verb to hear in the Hebrew not only means to listen, but it also carries the idea of obedience. So when God says hear, he wants action, hearing, he wants action followed by what is heard. Alright? So he, he doesn't just want you to hear and say, okay, as our children might say, when we say, did you hear what I said? Yes, I heard you, but they're not doing anything. No, 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 that, that's not what he's talking about. When God says here, uh, God demands action that accompanies the hearing. Obey. Now, this is the Shema, very familiar to any Jew, quoted by all religious Jews every morning, every evening. From what I understand, it still is. The Shema was written on small strips of paper and placed in leather boxes called phylacteries. These leather boxes were worn on the forearms and on the foreheads. This was an, an effort to literally fulfill the command of Deuteronomy 6, 8, where the Lord said, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. The Shema was also written down and placed in a small uh, round box called the mezuzah and placed on the doors in the home. This serves to remind the Jews of God in their going out and coming in. This was in an effort to fulfill Deuteronomy 6, 9. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. I'm trying to tell you, this: the Shema was very, very important to the Jew, but they made it external Amen. rather than internal. But notice what Jesus is saying here to the church. First, as you think about loving God for who he is, first note, he is the Lord. Amen. The text says love the Lord, right? He or Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Repeat it twice. The word Lord means owner, it means master. God is sovereign over all. God has all power, all authority. God reigns, God rules over all. And listen, beloved, you cannot and I cannot truly 
love the Lord until we see him for who he is. Yes, sir. He is Lord. God is the one and only Lord, not only of Israel, but of every individual as well. God is Lord, Master, Owner, Sovereign. And as Lord, God lays rightful claim to every facet of human personality. Doesn't he? Love the, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. You don't love him until you have truly surrendered all to him. You don't see him as Lord. You don't know what it means to love him. Secondly, the Lord is our God. So when the Shema was uttered and the Jews were directed to focus their affection on God, the object of their affection was not some cosmic and personal force, not some unnamed, unknown, higher power. I talking to a young lady who used to be a member of this church. And said, oh, I still believe in God. I just call him a higher power. I said, that's ridiculous. I said, you do not believe in God. I'm not going to sit here and let you say that to me. God is sovereign. God is Lord. And watch this. God is Lord all by himself. The Lord is our God. God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. God of Moses. God who delivered Israel from slavery into in Egypt and brought him into the promised land. This is a personal relationship between the worshiper and God. It is a daily experience. We are related to him. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Pastor, if we have come to faith through Jesus Christ our Lord, therefore we love, adore, and worship him. Right? And we worship him. Listen, not first of all for what he's done. Right? Not just for his gifts and his benefits. Not even, first of all, for uh, 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 all his great and glorious attributes. Worship him because he's Lord, he's our God. Because all of his attributes is who he is. Right? And because of who he is, he's worthy of every creature's unqualified love. Every creature. Yes, sir. He has a right to demand it. Yes, sir. Is he your God? You better think about that. Is he your God? Pause and think about that. Is God really my God? I'm talking about the one of the Bible, not the one who has revealed himself in Holy Scripture. Is he your God? Thirdly, as we think about worshiping him for who he is, he's Lord, he's our God, we see the oneness of our God. The Lord, if you look at it in the Hebrew, Yahweh, our God, Elohim, the Lord, Yahweh, is one. That's the heart and soul of the Hebrew faith, that's the heart and soul of Christianity, right there. 
And Deuteronomy, Yahweh is his covenant name. Kyrios is the Greek term for the Old Testament, Yahweh. Yahweh is God's covenant name, declared to his people, Yahweh, our God, and our only God, Yahweh, is one. So that means he's unique in essence and in existence. He's one in being. He alone is God. There is no other. We do not have three gods. We have one God, one in essence, one in, one in being, uh, existing in a plurality of his persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He and he alone is the subject of our devotion. Nobody has a right. I don't care what's politically correct. I will not be politically correct. Nobody has a right to form their own religion. There's one God. Nobody has a right to worship whoever they want. If you have a right then let me know how that works when Jesus returns. <laughs> hey Jesus, what's up? Yeah, I was uh, in worship in Allah, I'm head over here. And he gonna snatch you? He said, no, you're going over here. Well, Jesus, there's nothing over there, but I don't see anything over there but a, but, but, but a lake of fire. He said, just right. Because the Lord our God is one. You had no right. He, he's the only one that had right, and I'm the only one that has right and claim over your life. Thus says the Lord. He's the only one that has right. Nobody has any right to declare who is to be worshipped. No reason, no excuse for any destruction by any other subject. He is the one Lord. That's a powerful statement of uniqueness and exclusivity, isn't it? Yes. Our God is God alone, and our worship, love, devotion, and allegiance must be exclusively to God, or He will not accept it. Amen. Can I ask again, is He your God today? It's not enough for Him to be your father's God or your mother's God. He must be yours. Amen. You cannot love him until you know him personally. Mm -hmm. The Lord, our God, that's Elohim, speaks of his, the fact that he is the creator of heaven and earth. He's also the personal God who speaks, listens, acts, and knows us. Oh, right? He created, he's personal, he's intimate, but he's yours. Have you come to faith in Jesus Christ because the only way you can know God, you have to come to Jesus. Is he yours? Is God in your thoughts and mind and directing your understanding through the week? Are you in a personal relationship whereby you're communing with him? Is he yours? Pastor, I thought you were going to tell us how, uh, what, it, what it means to love God. Well, I am telling you. First of all, you gotta love him for who he is. You, you, you can't make up on your love. You can't turn around and create God in your image. 
say, okay, here's God, I love him. That's what they did uh, in the Old Testament. They just said idols uh, that, that were no, uh, a no God or no thing, and they said, here's God. And then they did what they wanted to do. No, you got to know who he is. He's Lord. He's sovereign. He's the creator. He's intimate. He, he wants communion. He wants love returned to him because of who he is. God wants to know from the resurrected church this morning, if I do nothing, will you still love me? Love God for who he is. Finally, the ultimate priority is to love God for who he is. Love God with all you are. Oh, here it is. It's going to get even hotter now, baby. It's 12 20. I got time. Right? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength. Boy, Jesus put a lot of conjunctions there, didn't he? He's hooking up phrases and clauses, isn't he? <laughs> Woo! Are you with me? Love God with all you are. What type of love is, is this? Pastor Harold will give me the Greek word because, oh, I've got to really understand what love is this. Well, it's agape. What is that? That's, that refers to intelligent, purposeful, committed, sacrificial love. Intelligent, purposeful, committed, sacrificial love. It is not unintelligent. It is intelligent. Love God for who he is. Love him out of an intelligent understanding. Right? It refers to the kind of love God has for us. Not the kind of love God has for us, perfect, eternal, unchangeable, utterly unselfish. God has this love for us that keeps on giving, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. That's the love that went to the cross. Yes, sir. Right? Yes. Romans 5.8, why were we yet sinners? He died for us. God says, love me like I love you. Yeah. <laughs> I said, but I don't know about that. Well, we love him because he first loved us. So that means he put love in every Christian. First John 4, 19. Let me break this down. Four times, notice verse 30. The word all is repeated. You see that? Four times. You know what it emphasizes? It emphasizes the necessity of a total response of love to the Lordship of God. Notice also each of the four commandments is prefaced by this little Greek preposition. Do you see it in verse 30? I know my English teachers see it, don't you? In verse 30, you should love uh, God with all your heart with all your mind, with all your strength. Right? You see that? Yes. Each of the four commandments is prefaced by this little Greek pre preposition. It's the 
uh, little Greek preposition, ek, you know what it means? The source of, not the means of. How, does, how is that different? We're commanded to love God, not simply with our whole heart, but out from our whole heart. Are you with me? So, this is what I do not believe. I, I, I do not believe that this is being compartmentalized here, but I, I believe it speaks of the comprehensiveness of, God, of, of love for God. But for the, the sake of uh, clarity, I, I, I want to break it down for you. We're commanded to love God with our whole hearts. Because you want to know, what does it mean to love God with your whole heart? Well, that means love for God should come out from the very root of our being. The heart is the source of all our thoughts, all of our words, and all of our actions. According to Proverbs 4.23, it commands, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Love God from the very root of your being. Love him in thought, love him in word, love him in action, love him from the very inner person. Well, that means our love for God is to be a love that is surpassed by no other love. The very core of your being should throb with love for God. So when we love him with our whole heart, our loving him in all of the other areas will not be a problem. <laughs> right? Loving him with your whole heart, Jesus is saying, I don't want any pretenders. No pretenders. You've got to love God without pretense. It needs to be genuine love for him, not just what you say when you gather at the resurrected Reformed Baptist Church on Sunday. Right? It needs to be genuine, you know, not, not hypocritical. It needs to be a love that uh, you say, speak about, and resurrected, but it needs to be a love that uh, your, friend, your friends know about where you work, where you go to school, and where you live. It needs to be genuine, real. See, what's genuine and, and real lives in you. It doesn't just come and do it right Secondly, loving with all your soul. You see that? You know what the soul is? The soul is the seat of the emotions and the will. Mm -hmm. So, our love for God should be an emotional love. It should be. And, 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 and what I mean by that, we should not be ashamed to express our love with the emotions. In other words, our love for him ought not to be lukewarm. It ought to be like a blazing fire in our souls. Remember what Jesus said uh, to the church, the Laodicean church in the book of Revelation. Here's what he said. He said in Revelation 3, 15 and 16, he says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Our love for God must be white, hot, not cold, not even lukewarm, but blazing, just like that fire does when you put that lighter fluid on that charcoal. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Blazing. Yes, sir. Right? 
What does it mean to love God? Is it loving from your inner being with genuine real love? Loving with hot, flaming emotions for him, affection for him. Thirdly, ooh, your pen dropping here. Loving with all your mind. You know what the atheist wants to say? We have a mindless faith. Look at Jesus. Loving with all your mind. The mind refers to the faculty of thinking, comprehending, mm -hmm. reasoning. The mind embraces the will, your decisions, your intentions, your purposes. So we have to love God with the fullness of our understanding. Sometimes I get impatient with people when I hear them say, I don't want to study, I just want to have a simple faith. Listen, God did not give us the Bible so that we can treat it like a children's story. He calls us to apply our minds to the fullest extent to understand the riches and the depth of his revelation of himself in his word. And as we understand who God is, as he has revealed himself in his word, we respond to the truth by focusing the power of our intellect to worship and to love him because of who he is. We apply our minds to the truth. And sometimes I'm preaching deep things and you want, well, Pastor, you need to break that down. No, no, you come up to where I am. I'm breaking anything down. You apply your minds to the scriptures. Ask for more illumination. This is not cookies and ice cream, baby. This is steak. Well, you apply your minds, right? Loving with all your mind. We need to think deeply about God. The reason worship is messed up in so many places, the reason people's minds are messed up because they are not thinking deeply about God. So they're getting these little messed up application sermons that mean absolutely nothing. And they don't know what it means to love God with all their mind. You come to church, you don't have to think deeply. Well, shut the doors. Who is God? You've got to think deeply about him. God is deep, isn't he? You don't think he's deep? Get to the bottom of eternal. And let me know when you get there. Get to the bottom of unchanging. And let me know when you get there. Get to the bottom of uh, omnipotence, all power, and let me know when you get there. God is deep. God wants us to apply our minds. We're not to sit mindlessly and listen to sermons. Love God with all of your mind. Sometimes, not all of you, but sometimes some of you, are simply responding from the emotional response of somebody else. Because if I ask you after service, what did the preacher preach? You have no clue. Or what were you jumping for? 
Jumping because I got loud, I'm loud anyway. You know, y'all know I'm an emotional person. That's just who I am. I like girls, but that's me. Right? The word of God makes me come alive. Fourthly, we're to love God with all our strength. Well, Jesus added to it, didn't he? To Deuteronomy 6. What does it mean to love God with all of our strength? Well, the word strength refers to physical energy and function. You love Him with your strength when you dedicate your physical body. I'm talking about your muscles, your energy to Him. If you love the Lord, you love Him with your body as well. We like to try to divorce physical from the spiritual, don't we? Well, as long as I'm loving you in my heart, you have no right to do that. True love for Jesus is always carried out by the physical man. We love God with our strength if we follow him with a determined will, with a moral resolve, even in the face of adversity. Yes, we press our way through because we love it. Some of us have a little bit of scratch on the finger that you have to get a magnifying glass to see. I can't come today because my finger throb, I gotta hold it up. Love God. Right? Be determined. Honestly, church, I'm not here. Every Sunday just for the sake of being here. You know, I like to be real as well. Well, I know you're going to be here. We'll give you a check. Well, you have to understand. I preach more than one time for nothing. So it's not attached to a check in. And I preach for a little before. Because what comes in money doesn't determine my love for God. Loving you with all of your strength. I have literally seen, I'm going to pick on him a little bit. I've literally seen Mike Long after, after a day of diagnosis. Pressing his way. Amen. On Wednesday. Right. Sometimes he's not enough, but I don't bother. Because I said, Lord, he's probably had a, a day physically like I've never experienced. But he's still fighting. Amen. Loving with all the God hurts me sometimes. I'm telling you, he hurts me sometimes. 
Was there any affection for his father? Uh, was his affection spineless, weak, or did he manifest the most powerful, strong affection for the father ever seen on the planet? You know the answer. He loved. He loved God with all of his heart, all of his mind, all of his soul, and all of his strength. Every second of his life, he loved him with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, and all of his strength. If he had not done that, he would not have fulfilled the law. And he couldn't save us. But the good news is, he did it. I told you we needed a righteousness. Oh, you, you, you've heard this too many times uh, to get excited about it. I told you we needed a righteousness, not of our own. We needed a righteousness coming from Christ to be given to us because we could not produce one. Oh, but Jesus, he loved God perfectly from the time he was born. Can you imagine Jesus as a baby? Not one time did he have a selfish cry. Not one time did Jesus act ugly even as a baby. Not one time did he sin even as a baby. Four months old and he wouldn't get into everything like a normal depraved child. Glory to God. Because he had to fulfill all righteousness and he kept the law perfectly. Obeyed it perfectly and, and, and when I come to Christ in faith and the other side of faith is repentance because if there's no repentance there's no faith as there's no turning from there's no turning to so when you come to Christ in faith and repentance guess what the father does he says here I'm going to give you what my son Accomplished. Amen. Amen. Father, what is that mean? I declare you righteous. Amen. Can you break that down for me, Father? You know, I got a little weak man. I'm looking at you as if you've never seen. I'm looking at you as if Christ, as if you did what Christ did. Kept the law perfectly. Amen. Yes. Yes, he did. So it means I'm justified? Yes. But then but being justified doesn't mean that I'm not seeking to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yes. Does it? Yes. No, that doesn't mean that. No, sir. It just means you see me more clearly. And I put in you a new heart. So you're coming for me, and maybe I'm coming for you. Right? Following a great victory, King Cyrus of Persia, he took as prisoners this noble prince, his wife, and his children. When they were brought into the leader's tent to stand before him, Cyrus said to the prince, he said, what will you give me if I set you free? He replied, well, I will give you half of all that I possess. And he said, well, hmm, what will you, will you give me if I release your children? He said, your majesty, I will give you all that I possess. 
King said, mm, but what will you give me if I set your wife free? He looked at his wife that he loved so dearly. The prince said without hesitation, if you restore my wife to freedom, I'll give you my life. History records that Cyrus was so moved by his devotion that he released the entire family without asking for recompense. They got home that evening. The prince said to his wife, he said, Hannah, uh, do, do you not think that Cyrus was a very, very handsome man? Here's her reply. She said, I did not notice him. He said, why, honey? He was so handsome. Why didn't you notice him? Where were your eyes? She said, I had my eyes on the one who said he would lay down his life for me. Where are your eyes this morning? Amen. Where's your heart? Amen. I hope it's on the one yeah. who did lay down yes, it is. his life. Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen.